And we will continue in this study of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, and we will be uh, in verse 30 is where we're going to start. And last week we began this uh, three-week look at the three different foretellings of Christ and his own death, but also on the third day his resurrection, which is why we come to celebrate in just a few weeks uh, Resurrection Sunday, or also known as Easter. And this is the very reason we still come on a weekly basis. Had he not risen from the dead, you and I would be uh, watching NASCAR and racing and uh, anything else on Sundays and really have no... No issues with it, but because he rose from the dead, we devote our entire lives to him. And here we are in his second foretelling of his death and also his resurrection. And I have to admit, you know, these disciples are also another picture of what it's like dealing with kids, right? Or what it's like dealing with men. Um, because it seems like time after time after time, Jesus is telling these men over and over and over again, they just can't get it through their, you know, their thick skulls. And, and I, I don't know, my wife tends to tell me things all the time and it doesn't do any good. And Jesus is probably anticipating these guys finally getting it. But as we see here, um, they don't. So let's go straight into it. Mark chapter nine, starting in verse 30. The Bible says they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Verse 32. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So here we are, this is Jesus' second foretelling of his coming death and also his coming resurrection. And his disciples don't quite comprehend what he is saying to them. And they are actually afraid to ask him. Now we don't know the the root of why they are afraid to ask him. They could have been embarrassed to ask him because he clearly said it. You know, and, and as we read last week, he was plainly saying these things to them. We don't quite understand why, but they clearly did not understand it and they were afraid to ask him. Well, here we are 2,000 years later. We have the rest of the story where we know that he told his, he predicted it again a third time, and then he would go on to be arrested, crucified, and then on the third day rise. Well, here we are 2,000 years later. So what does this prediction have to do with us? Well, last week we looked at the first foretelling in which Peter began to rebuke Jesus. Remember that? And then Jesus rebuked him by saying, Satan, get behind me. You're putting your mind on man's things, not godly things. And... Here is what I would tell you from that. What we see in Peter is that we see what was in one season a reason for rebuking turn into a reason for rejoicing. And we read Peter's Peter's first letter, right? And he began his letter by talking about this everlasting, this living hope that we are born into. And I couldn't help but to think about the fact that what was at one point in Peter's life a reason to rebuke or be frustrated with the Lord later on turned into a reason of rejoicing. Now, all of us have experienced this, maybe not in this particular way, but all of us have experienced this, and this is what I mean by that. Some of us thank God because certain jobs didn't work out. 
because we were frustrated. We didn't get the job. We didn't get the promotion. But now as we look back, we are actually rejoicing and thanking God that it didn't happen the way that we wanted, right? Or maybe those relationships that we thought had to be strong and continue on and those friends that we thought we had to have in our lives for the rest of our lives or that that man or that woman. Here we are later on in life rejoicing at the fact that that season of our life didn't continue on. Even though whenever the relationship crumbled or the friendship tore apart, we were completely frustrated or questioning God. Why did they leave? What did I do? What did they do to me? And then now we look back and we have a reason to rejoice. So what we see is sometimes God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours, right? Because it was reason for Peter to get mad because he wanted Jesus to be with them. He was healing people. He was performing miracles. He was feeding thousands of people with very little. He was doing thing and sign and thing and sign over and over and over. So what Jesus is telling these people is, hey, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise. Well, his disciples didn't want him to die. So Peter begins to rebuke him. But then that very same thing that caused Peter to rebuke Christ would be the very same thing that caused Peter to rejoice in Christ. So there are things that you and I go through, seasons of life that we experience, relationships that crumble, jobs that don't work out, that at one season of our life we're completely frustrated, angry with God. Why didn't it work out? What happened here? And then later on in life we look back and we begin to rejoice. So I could testify to that, that there are things that have happened in my life in the moment I was frustrated or even offended or angered, but now I'm satisfied. Now I am thankful. So we see rebuking and rejoicing. And now we see Jesus warning them a second time that he is about to be delivered into the hands of man and they will kill him. So what we see is that Jesus is warning his disciples about needs and wants. We discussed over in the building next door just a little bit ago during our Sunday school class about how God gives us our needs, right, uh, more so than, than our wants, So here we see Jesus telling them, so what do I mean by need over want? Peter and the disciples wanted Jesus to stay around for a long time. It was convenient. It was comfortable. He was willing to address the religious leaders whenever these disciples didn't have the the scripture knowledge or the authority to do so. Jesus was, like I said, feeding people with with. Very little. He's feeding thousands of people and he's raising people from the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. Wouldn't it be nice for Jesus to stick around a little while and continue to walk with us and bless us and perform miracle and miracle and miracle? But the the reality is Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die. Jesus warns him. He says, listen, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. So if you and I were to read John chapter 3 verse 16, does anybody have that memorized? John 3.16, the most popular Bible verse of all, what? It says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so whoever would, what, believe in him would never die, but have eternal life. So God the Father sent his son to die, so that you and I would never die. So then whenever we read Isaiah chapter 53, start in verse 10, we see that the will of God was to crush his son. Well, why is that? Because Jesus had to die in order for you and I to receive the redemption through Christ. So Jesus, the lamb that came came to take away the sins of the world, had to be delivered into the hands of men so that he would die. And then on the third day, he would what? Rise. So why is that important? This is important because Jesus is 
trying to get through to his disciples just as he tries to get to get through to you and I, that he's always willing to give us what we need rather than what we want. Because what these men wanted was blessing after blessing after sign after sign. But what they needed was salvation through Christ. What you and I want is more money, more security. We may want bigger homes. We may want faster vehicles. We may want bigger names. We may want a lot of things. But what you and I truly need is salvation in Christ alone. If you have salvation in Christ alone, you shall want nothing else for you need nothing else so jesus is warning them that i'm going to die but i will also rise we also see in this particular foretelling jesus the heart of the gospel is that he would die for sinful men and women like you and me and that he would rise to offer eternal life Here's what we do see in the cross, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. That God, our Heavenly Father, truly is a good, good Father and a loving God. How do I know this? Well, the will of the the Lord, the will of God was to crush His own Son. And then whenever we read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, this is what we read. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake... I want, to, I want to just say that again. For our sake. Can you say that with me? For our sake. Your sake and my sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God the Father made him, Jesus the Son, who knew no sin, meaning he did not commit any sin. He was perfect in all of his life. He did not sin. He never fell short of God's glory. But because of our sake, why is it for our sake? Well, this right here is an evidence of God being a loving God. Now, here's what we have to understand. Just because, just because God doesn't always answer every prayer or give us what we ask or what we want does not mean that God does not love us. It doesn't mean that God has turned his back. Just because God didn't heal the body, just because God didn't restore the relationship, just because God didn't provide the new job, just because God didn't open that door that we thought had to be opened, does not mean that God doesn't love us. And I think it's so, as we read over there 2,000 years ago, people in Jesus, they also wanted sign after sign after blessing after blessing as evidence of God's love and his care for his people. But 2,000 years ago, we see God's love demonstrated for us in this. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ, what? Died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the greatest demonstration of God's love, that he would put the fullness of sin upon his son. And what does he give us in return? I mean, think about it. What do you get in return of his sacrifice and his resurrection? You get everlasting life. Anybody else, what do you get in return? We can have a little bit of participation if you want. Peace, love, hope. I mean, think about what it is that you get in return of this cross, of this crucifixion, and then on the third day of his resurrection. Well, I would tell you it's probably hard for us to comprehend because it's something we cannot measure. You cannot measure the fullness of God's grace. 
We see a demonstration of it why 2,000 years ago upon a cross, Jesus hung and he bled and he died for me. But I can't begin to measure that. I can begin to measure the ways in which I love my wife in the sense of $55 for like four roses, right? Or, or I can, I can take her to dinner and spend $200 on a really nice restaurant that we would only eat in once in our lifetime. Or, or we can go do this or I can buy her that or I can take her here and, and I can begin to measure that. But we cannot begin to measure the love that God has for us. And this is evidence of God truly being a loving God. So if you're here today and you say, well, there's no way that God loves me, I would beg to differ he does. He loves you in such a great way that he would sacrifice his own son to save you from your sin. You cannot begin to measure the love that God has for you. Well, if God was truly a loving God, there wouldn't be any any brokenness in the world. We live in a broken, fallen, sinful world in which death, the disorder, and destruction are evident. But that does not neg- that does not remove the, us from the fact that God loves us and He loved the world in this way that He sent His only Son to die in our place. We can't measure the the love that God has for us because. We cannot measure the fullness of sin or the fullness of God's wrath because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, as we just read, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. This is what that means. That Jesus took upon himself the fullness of sin so that the fullness of God's wrath would be satisfied so that in him, in Christ, he would freely give to those who are in him the fullness of life. Now, that fullness of life is not experienced here and now. We have to wait to see what the fullness of life looks like, but we cannot begin to measure it. How do I know we cannot measure the love of God? Well, we also read the scriptures that teach us the immeasurable riches of his mercy and his grace, but there's this old song. Maybe, maybe you guys remember it. There's, a, there's this old, really old song that begins a verse by saying this. When we've been there 10,000 years. When we've been there 10,000 years, what does it go on to say? Bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than we first begun. So what that song is saying that for the rest of eternity, we will be so overwhelmed by his mercy and by his love and by his grace and by his majesty and by his holiness that we will just sing songs of praise to his name. And it will last forever. We cannot measure it because forever and ever we will praise His holy name. And I don't know about you, but I'm anxious to see that. And I have peace knowing that because of His death, burial, and resurrection, I'll be there. I'll be there. So what we see in this particular foretelling of Christ is that what... Seasons of life may go through that we may experience where we may be rebuking or frustrated with God or questioning God later on may be a season of rejoicing or a reason of rejoicing because these men could not understand what Jesus was meaning. Therefore, there are times in life where we may not understand what God is doing and we question what is going on here. Why didn't things work out this way? But later on in life, we have a reason to rejoice because if things didn't go the way that they did, I would not be here. You would not be here. There are things in my life that I wanted to go the other way, which would have led me down a different path. But thank God, and I praise God, that I'm here where I am. 
And I praise God because certain doors that I wanted to be open just didn't open. Certain calls didn't happen. We also see in the death, the burial, and the resurrection and the cross of Christ that God always gives us what we need rather than what we want. Now, I know for you, you may be asking God to please heal, to please restore, please redeem, please revive. And he will at times heal. He will provide. He will do things that you and I ask of him. But just because he doesn't do them does not mean that he has turned his back on you or does not love you. And then we see in the cross of Christ, the fullness of God's love as he takes upon himself the fullness of our sin. And he offers to us the fullness of his life. And when you and I come into worship time after time after time, we do this on a weekly basis. I'm, I'm usually here, what, 48 weeks a year, 49 weeks a year. And then I also have to ask, like, I also have to act like a preacher outside of here as well. Um, I also have to be a light to my kids, right? And much rather, I'd like to spank them and and beat them sometimes. And I got to be a light to them. And then I got to go to work, and I got to, you know, take those phone calls or those customers that come into the post office here in town, and it really let me have them just smile at them and tell them have a great day. And um, there's a lot of lot of times in our life where. We could be so overwhelmed by the circumstances or by the people we're around or by the season of life that we're living in that could dictate the joy or the hope or the peace or the happiness that we have. But may we never forget that the death, the crucifixion of Christ, the cross of Christ gives us all the hope, joy, and peace we ever need. The love of God is on full display 2,000 years ago when his own son would not even open his mouth as he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. So every time that I get to come into this place, every time that you and I get to come together and we get to worship, we should be thankful that we get to praise the name that saved us from our sin. Every time that you interact with someone that may disagree with you or someone that is not is pleasant to you, let me just encourage you, just thank God that you have an opportunity to be a light to someone so that they could be recipients of this amazing grace, this unchanging love. Every time that I get to pray with my girls, I am reminded, I am humbled, and I am grounded that one of these days I might be raising up four girls right now that can sometimes drive me crazy, make it challenging, make me wonder what in the world are we doing, what were we thinking, what are we going to do tomorrow, how do we handle this, like this is overwhelming, but I am raising up four young girls now that will become parents one day or wives one day that will then pass on the word of God, the love of God, and then show their kids or their grandkids or their church, wherever they are, that the joy of the Lord sustains them and strengthens them and it all roots to one act, the cross of Christ. Should we know, look for no other, like Adam was saying, in the Jesus revolution of the 60s, I don't know about you all, but I wasn't there. Um, but I did do some Googling this week because I would like to see the movie. I just didn't get a date night with Adam invite. But I was reading up on Woodstock. Anybody ever read about Woodstock? There was like 400,000 people for like, I don't know, a few days all together and somewhere in New York. And um, 
Woodstock. No, they weren't in Woodstock. They were in a different town. They were originally supposed to go to Woodstock, but because of the size and the overwhelming amount of people, they actually went to a different town. But here I am looking at all these pictures and seeing the clothes that people used to wear and the hair that people used to carry and and just think to myself, man, this is crazy. But here we are, 400,000 people flock to this Woodstock. And just as Adam said, he sees a generation of people looking for all of the wrong reasons, looking for good in all the wrong places. And 400,000 people flocking to one city to just spend time together. And I just couldn't help but to picture, I know heaven's not going to look like Woodstock, but I couldn't help but to picture all of the people flocking together. There are no bell-bottoms in heaven, right? (laughs) There are none of that. (laughs) There's no tie-dye in heaven, all right? but I just couldn't help but the picture. I'm looking at all these pictures of people sleeping on their cars and they're sleeping in hammocks and they're just laying on the ground. I couldn't help but to just get a picture of what heaven will look like one day and all of us flocking together and just rejoicing and praising the Lord forever and ever. That's what it's going to look like. We're just going to be together praising Him. Why? Because of that one act. That one act. That one cross. That one grave. That one third day gives us all the hope, all the joy, and all the peace. And it is evident that God truly loves us and gives us what we need. So here's what I want to do to end this. If you're here today and you feel completely broken or asking God, God, do you truly love me? I just want to give you a bit of hope and a glimpse of his love by reminding you that 2,000 years ago he made him who knew no sin, to become all of your sin so that in Him, Christ alone, that you could become the fullness of His righteousness, that He does love you and that He loves you so much that He would take upon the cross and endure the joy set before Him and that the will of the Father was to actually crush Him to redeem you. And if you're here today and you think, well, what's the cross have to do with us 2,000 years later? Or what's this foretelling really have to do with me today? It gives you all you need. And if you have eternal life in Christ and you are here today and you are a Christian, let me just remind you that you need nothing else. Does more money help? Yeah, it does. I can really impress my wife with a little more money, right? Or does a bigger house help? Yeah, but then when you get older, you have to clean more space, right? Uh, Does fancier help? Yeah, it sure makes you feel good. But let me just remind you that all you truly need is the cross of Christ and the eternal life that he gives. So may we we all be people that ground ourselves at his cross and know that by that one cross, that one death, that one burial, and that one resurrection, God has demonstrated his great love for us and provided us all that we could ever need. Let's pray.